Welcome here on this uh, nice, beautiful, cold day. On the way up here, I know that my thermometer read one degrees, and uh, <clears throat> coming from 80 degrees two days ago, that bites kind of hard. We are going to continue. Actually, last week, Ben uh, gave a kickoff. If you did not get a chance to listen to uh, Ben's opening for the... Uh, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mountain, uh, you need to do that. It, it's a great opening. It's very, very important that you get kind of the background theme so that the rest of it can make sense. Uh, I don't know how many of you have read through the Sermon on the Mountain and all the Beatitudes and didn't walk away with a lot of questions. Uh, you know, you cut off your hand, you poke out your eye. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on in here. And for you to go ahead and say, well, how does this make sense? I didn't even think about it when Ben said, we're going to be talking about this. It didn't dawn on me. He's going to take one of the toughest portions of Scripture, and we're going to share with you on it. We are going to attempt to share with you on it. So if the Holy Spirit uh, does not show up, you'll hear a lot of fluffy words. You will have no impact in your life. So we are going to trust that in 1 Corinthians when it says that uh, I have given you not a spirit of this world but one of God that can understand the things of God, we are in desperate need of that. Uh, it's very, very important that we hear that. Uh, God's speaking, as Ben said last week, he is speaking and he's looking for people to hear, to listen. Reminds me of the, the wife uh, that said to her husband, you haven't heard a word I've said. And the husband says, that is really a funny way to start a conversation. <clears throat> Some of you get that, I don't know. <laughs> I think sometimes when God's speaking, we have not been listening. We haven't turned our ears on and we haven't opened up and said, God, uh, I want you to speak to me and speak words that only the Holy Spirit can produce uh, here. Ben shared uh, an opening uh, that we are going to continue with because it's essential that uh, we understand what is the theme. And if you get the theme of this portion of Scripture, it makes a lot of the rest of the Scriptures understandable. At least it makes them where you can enter in and begin to know kind of where to put it. And uh, we are going to talk about that. He started out with it's a book in Matthew. It starts out with genealogy. And the purpose of genealogy isn't for you to memorize all of the fathers and the forefathers all the way down. The whole purpose of the genealogy was to bring it down until it came to a person called Jesus. This is a story about Jesus. This is a life about Jesus. And we're going to see that even in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mountain, it is a story about Jesus. And it's not about us. Okay, we are brought into the picture, but you'll see that also, and I, and I think that I am not too far off, I hear about the Sermon on the Mountain, but there also was a Sermon on the Beach uh, in Luke chapter 6. I believe that these are two different uh, sermons. There's some things that are different in them, but they're similar. They sound the same. I would... Uh, kind of challenge uh, myself to say that I think he probably spoke about this more often than once or twice because this is really crucial to understanding the canon of scripture. It's very, very important that we lay out a foundation. 
Also, Ben challenged you, which I thought was a great challenge. Uh, These words were spoken to the crowds and they were spoken to the disciples. And I think it's good that we understand the difference between those because the question was asked by Ben, what are you going to be? Are you going to be of the crowd or are you going to be of the disciple? Now, the crowds were interested. How could you not be interested uh, when this guy that you hear has came here, he's, he's healing the sick, he's casting out demons, he's raising the dead, he's uh, feeding the hungry. I mean, you'd be crazy not to follow uh, as they all followed him. But the crowds didn't want to get too close. This person was somewhat dangerous because of the things that he was saying. He was saying things, uh, you must... Uh, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And, I, and the crowds were kind of moving and they were going to look at a distance. They were going to watch from a distance because their view was things that were seen and felt in this world, everything that was temporal, and they were building that. So <clears throat> when he begins to challenge them more and more that this is more than something your eyes can see and what your ears can, can hear, it's something way deeper, way beyond that, and way more real than what you see The crowds were a little distant. They began to move back and not want to get too close. The disciples were all in. Sometimes I don't think by their choice, but they had no idea. The the revelation of God had came upon them. They saw that they were with the Messiah, and so they were all in. So basically, they're willing to die for him, and they were saying, okay, we're in. And so the question was asked, are you going to be of the crowd? Or are you going to be a disciple? That question lies with you. That question lies with you. And so I think it's important that you continue with that in your mind as you go through. Uh, You are going to hear some challenging things in the next months ahead as we go through and open up some of the scriptures here. I can assure you that if you go ahead and decide, I'm all in, I'm going to be with the disciple, that I think that will be the best place you can land. Because the other is going to always, always leave you empty in the long run. So we're going to look at the history, and I think it's very, very important that we understand the background of the story, the background of what's going on. And if we get kind of the cultural context of what was going on, it'll help. It'll help you and I be able to read and understand the things that he's about to say. And today, if you just kind of look at it and you read it from that perspective, we miss a lot because of the context. And, and you'll see, we have one verse today that we're going to go through. It's Matthew chapter 5, and it's going to be verse... Three, but we're going to take verse two and three. And it says, And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to look at the word blessed. And I think it's important that we understand the full meaning of that. Because I think in our day, in our age, when we say blessed or bless you or, you know, or blessedness upon you, I think we get a misunderstanding of what that meant. And it's very, very important that you and I understand the whole context of what does blessed mean. The word in the Greek language is an interesting word. 
Uh, I would not do it much justice uh, with speaking the Greek language, but give it, I'm going to give it a shot. It's called mercurial. And mercurial is a, it basically the definition blessed means to be characterized by the quality of God. Thus, mercurial or blessedness, means to be indwelt by God's very nature within oneself. Therefore, realizing the indwelling presence of Christ, then we can experience the full satisfaction of life because of God's indwelling. Now, in a nutshell, basically, the word blessedness means the very presence of Jesus Christ in your life. If you have that presence within your life, you are blessed. If you have the awareness of his presence within you, it will bring about the full satisfaction that life has to offer. Way different than what many translations say, happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. The word happy is taken from the word hap. It means when everything happens the way you want it to happen, you will be happy. And that is a very shaky thing to be resting your happiness on or your joy on. So we're going to build on this today because it's absolutely paramount that you begin to grasp that the full meaning that we're talking about is the blessedness is the presence of the indwelling God in you and he is going to go ahead and take the lid off of their cultural day by bringing to light some things that are going to absolutely be astounding to these people. And so that word blessed is important. Normally, if you look back and you read through the sermon, you're going to look at uh, <clears throat> reading through all the difficult passages, and you, you have the ones that you really like. They're the ones that you're doing and your neighbor's not, okay? And so you can always bring about, well, I haven't committed adultery. Of course, then they'll say, yeah, but if you, have you even looked at somebody with lust, you've committed adultery. So we, we won't take that one. So we'll, we keep going on, and... Uh, and what has become of this passage is many teachers, many doctrines, many people you listen to on television are basically trying to make this all about sin management, how you can manage sin and manage not to sin. We are going to challenge you that this has nothing to do with sin management. This is not what Christ was talking about. And you've got to remember who he was talking to and who were in the crowds because it's very, very important. Some of the, questions, some of the verses are very shaky, to say the least. You say you're not supposed to commit murder, and we go on and says, but I say if you call your brother a moron, then you're going to the fiery hell. Oh, let me pause for a minute on that. I have a grandson who's, I think he's five now, and he and my brother uh, and my son and, and uh, Tad were out and they were going to the shooting range, the archery range. And uh, my grandson, Kale, says, didn't Papa used to have a bow and arrow? And my son says, yeah, he used to have a bow and arrow. Well, what did he do with it? And my son says, well, he gave it away. Long pause, and he says, moron. <laughs> now, I don't think because he said that he's going to go to the fiery hell. 
okay, and burn in hell. And so we said, well, we better throw that verse out, but we pick and choose. And sometimes we don't even know what to do when it says to gouge your eye out. I'm challenging you to say this is not about sin management. This is a whole new ball game. This is a whole new opening and a different way of looking at life itself. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of all that was promised from Ezekiel all the way down in Isaiah. And I'm going to go ahead and show you a whole new breed of mankind. I want you to get the picture of that. It's hard to grasp with some of the language that was used back then, so we're going to try to do what we can, and this is really, really going to be only spirit-directed if you understand it. So I'll tell you what. I would be praying for your, your own ears and your own understanding. I am not praying as much for your ears and understanding as for my vocabulary, my words, and my things. I know me. And I know I can just make things pretty sloppy sometimes. So the Holy Spirit's going to have to just move here today. And I believe he will, and I believe he can. So pause for a minute. Holy Spirit, you said that we might acknowledge you, welcome you to come and bring forth your truth in your life. It is going to take supernatural powers to correct my words, my vocabulary, and supernatural power to let the listening ear really hear. We're going to ask for a covering of protection over this place that the enemy and his lies and deceptions would be bound up. Our former beliefs that are not accurate with you would be destroyed and we might be able to enter in to this incredible kingdom of heaven that you have promised. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word blessedness, again, is to basically have the presence of God inhabiting your life. And that very presence is what this whole story is going to be about. He is going to come and show you, and so he takes the lid off. Now, to get a picture a little bit of what it says when he says blessed, the word there, are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, in the Gospel of Luke, when he was down on the beach, he said blessed are the poor. Now, there are two words that we're looking at for poor here, and one of them is the word poor, which means they're beggars. They're, they're without food. They're without anything, and they're begging for it. However, they're begging. They have the capacity, if they really put their mind and heart to it, they could actually gain something. They could actually earn something. That's not the word used here with poor in spirit. The word poor in spirit means these are the totally helpless, have no ability to do anything that could gain anything for themselves. It is basically saying these people are absolutely without any ability to live life without the assistance of other people. They can't do it. So number one, that was brought to light. In that bringing to light, you also need to see the picture of what the teaching of the Jewish teaching was at that time. They believed falsely that if somebody was poor, they were cursed of God. So they would obviously say, well, that person's poor, so God has cursed them. And here Jesus is saying, blessed, I will inhabit those that are poor. 
What do you mean? I thought they were cursed of God. He is saying, no, on the contrary. That's where I'm going to make my being and make my temple and live amongst them. So you can see this is really, really going to be challenging. If we went into the day of Hitler and you were in the Hitler's group where somehow he was brainwashing all of these people and these Germans were basically hearing of how horrible the Jews were and what a rotten race the Jews were and they were cursed of God and they were not supposed to be here and, and then somehow there was a message brought to them that said, blessed are the Jews for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you see how striking that would be to the, uh, to the uh, Germans? You can pick whatever it is in your mind that you somehow think, how could it be? The Muslims, what if it was today? Blessed are the Muslims, for they, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're thinking, whoa, 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 not the Muslims. I want you to get the feel of this. But even more, I want you to realize the desperateness that God was trying to create for them. And he was saying this, sort of like today, I looked around here and I saw a couple true redheads in here. And then, blessed are the redheads, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the reason I use that illustration is because they didn't have anything to do with getting red hair. And in, all of you that dyed your hair red, okay, you tried to get it because you heard the saying, blessed are the redheads. See, this is what we do. We hear something, and we all try to then, I'm going to be a part of it. And Jesus is saying, no. You can't. You are absolutely bankrupt. There's nothing you can do. And then to make the whole message come alive, he's basically saying this in a nutshell. I came for all mankind. All mankind. None exempt. And not because of anything mankind does, but because of who I am. I came to draw a new race. In 1 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, and you'll be a new creation. The word literally means a new kind of human being will be on this planet. No longer because of you managing sin, no longer because of the things that you do that you think you should have, but because of who he was. How many, when you first read, blessed are the poor in spirit, thought, okay, we need to be more humble. I'm just going to be more, I'm going to be poor in spirit. Or maybe you read Luke, blessed are the poor. Maybe I'll just give everything away. Now, I'm not advocating you don't do some of that. But even in, in 1 Corinthians, a love chapter, you can give everything you have away to the poor. If you have not love, which is the name of God, which you have not Christ, it profits you nothing. Even... In 1 Corinthians 13, it is a story about him. Not about whether you're poor, not about whether you can interpret the things that men and angels can't, not whether you are educated in the Greek knowledge. This is all about the very presence of God coming upon mankind, and mankind has nothing to do with it. He is giving a whole new message to a people that don't know what to do about it. Because they had a caste system. They had a system of who was the sharpest and the Jews were over the Gentiles. He blew all of those systems away as you're going to find out as we continue through this for the next months. And don't miss the main thing here and that is I need to keep coming back to it. Ben talked about it. Hopefully the rest of the people that speak will tell you this is really about practicing the presence of God in your life moment by moment. 
And that is where the blessedness comes, the full satisfaction of life comes. And Jesus has just made an announcement to that crowd and his disciples, the message of my life is for every human being. And not one deserves it. You're all spiritually poor. And you can't color your hair, you can't color your skin, you can't do anything. You were born totally dependent upon my life. Does that make sense to you? It's important that it makes sense to you because as we move through, now we're going to go into blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now in, in Luke 6, it says for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now kingdoms, basically the definition is who has rule in your life. And I would wager that I could sit down with every single one of you at some time this next week and you will be king of your kingdom. That's why marriages have such a struggle. We have two kingdoms come together to make one with two kings. And so we fight for it. We fight for our rights in those things. The kingdom here is the kingdom of God's rule. That we might loosen heaven what has been loosed on earth. By the way, that is perfect uh, part, what is it, perfect participle, I think, which basically means it happened there, it has happened, and you can't do anything to make it happen. That means when God said the kingdom of heaven be loosed on earth, it's already done. It's a done deal. The kingdom of heaven has already been accomplished even here. Now, for you and I to experience it, there are some things that we're going to need to at least look at. But it's done. You don't make the kingdom of heaven happen on earth. For the kingdom of heaven is where the presence of God lives, dwells, and has his being. And the word heaven can be broken up into so many different things, but it is all of space and all of air and all around. God dwells in all of that. A lot of this is the invisible. If you saw me walk up here to preach, many of you through eyes, of physical eyes, saw me walk up, boldly come over here, turn my mic on, and sit here. Some of you who were really in tune to the invisible saw a person's heels dug in the ground and somebody pushing him up here who didn't want to come up here. To top it off, right before I come up here, I look down and I've got blood all over my hands. And my first thought is, do I have blood dripping down my face? And I thought, I'm going to ask Tom. And I said, no, don't ask Tom because he won't tell you. So I go over to Donovan, as some of you saw me, I said, Donovan, do I have blood all over my face? And he says, you're clean. I have no idea where it's coming from, but when I came up here, I wasn't wanting to come up here. My flesh was saying, no. And I believe that when we enter into this blessedness of the kingdom of heaven, we are going to have eyes to see things that the human race cannot see. We're going to have eyes to understand things that human beings do not have the spirit that can understand. We are going to see and make sense out of a lot of what is coming down the path in the sermon here that we're going to be looking at for the next months. Ah, 
with this being about the life of Christ in me and inhabiting me and the relationship and the union that we have together, with that being the ultimate here, this now makes sense. Because I don't have to see this. By faith, I will be able to look at this. For the world looks at the things that are seen, but not those of God. The things that are unseen and the things that are not temporal, but the things that are eternal. And by the way, the things that are unseen are way more real than the things that are seen. And he is trying to open this up to a people at that time that everything was built upon what they saw. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looked at the inwardness of the heart. Those things that can't be seen. Is that making sense to you? As you now look and you begin to read on your own in the book of Matthew and you start to look here, keep in mind that. It's the forefront of understanding the rest of the stuff. This is a new type of being. This is a new type of human. Somebody that is not gearing everything in life upon your own performance and your own what you've done, what you've not done. This is all about a relationship with the living God. I hope that every time you leave, a mess, leave here, every time that you walk out of this church, I hope there's a common theme coming out of your mouth to each other. They just keep saying the same thing over and over again. You know how hard it is for us to try to take a topic and try to say something the same again and again and again? This is what Jesus' whole life was. I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. That you might be one as I am one. Every story, every parable, every illustration that he goes through in there is basically telling you this is a story of man coming back, I mean from God coming back to inhabit mankind with a union and a relationship of knowing one another and I'm going to show you all the different parables and stories of how to make that true. I hope that's what you walk away with every time. It doesn't get any complicated, more complicated than that. And yet in the midst of that is the, is the secret unfolding of the whole book and canon. God's chasing you down and he isn't going to settle for anything less. And your performance and your actions uh, are not the things that got him to like you. You were poor in spirit and he came and bought you to himself. And he did the same for me. Now, if you've got that, as you go forward, I think things are going to start to unfold. We are going to get into the way man and women live life. But you're going to see that it is not according to your own efforts they are going to be done. You're going to see that all of a sudden when this God, love, inhabits your life, then love will fulfill all of the commands in Scripture. They'll go far beyond anything you can imagine. You will love in ways you had no idea. You'll begin to see these promises even in the Scriptures. Not only will you not murder, you won't call your grandpa a moron. <laughs> it can be lived out. 
but it's not the other way around. Please don't make this portion of Scripture about sin management because God made sure if you gave it a try, he says, if you want to give it a try and you want to be, have this be about your, be, uh, controlling your behavior, he ends with, you're going to have to be perfect just as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. There's your standard. And anything less, he says, falls short of all of them. You break all the laws. So don't make it about that. Let it be about the presence of God within you. Tom's going to come and sing a song, and it's really kind of neat because uh, he didn't know what I was talking about really, and I didn't know the song was coming. Listen to the words of this song and see if you can make it your own prayer as he closes out.